Hey folks, Riley here with a special announcement before I uh, play the uh, episode that we recorded for you today. Uh, this, of course, being our second episode of the week. Uh, we had a news episode a couple days ago. Um, this one today is a very special episode where it's a, a Q&A session. We haven't done one of those in a while, so very excited for that. But we'll, we'll get to that in just a minute. First, I wanted to announce to you that on Tuesday, July 31st at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, that would be 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central, and 6 p.m. Pacific, we have our monthly Guardian Nation live broadcast event, and this month's special guest is Clint Macro, founder of the Trigger Pressers Union. He is, I'll tell you, just a, a sound guy in the industry. He, that's, that's, that's kind of punny, actually, <laughs> and I mean punny, because he actually is a sound engineer. He's got a sound uh, recording studio and all that stuff. So, um, But he is sound in his principles and his knowledge as an instructor, as a trainer in the industry. He's also a published author uh, and he is a co-administrator of the National Trainer Teacher Day, which is a fantastic event uh, that just got put on a couple months ago, back in May, and that we participated in here at ConcealedCarry.com. So Clint Macro knows his stuff. Great dude. This is your chance to see a live interview between he, Jacob, and myself on uh, whatever questions that are going to come up. <laughs> this It's your chance to ask those questions, hear his answers, uh, interact with this live event that we do. We, uh, we try to make sure we have at least one of these each month. Uh, we've missed a couple here and there in the past, but we're getting back on track. We've got other great guests lined up for next month and the month after that and the month after that. Clint is, uh, we are just so fortunate to have him for the month of July. And yes, it is on the last day of July. So we just, just snuck it in under the, uh, the deadline there. So, uh, the details to get into the live broadcast event is if you are a Guardian Nation member, you do need to be a member to attend. Uh, you need to log in to your dashboard on concealedcarry.com and click on the Guardian Nation Live button in the dashboard area. And then there are instructions there where you can uh, join the event. Uh, there's a link that you'd use to join. Or you could also join from a mobile device uh, using the Zoom mobile app and, of course, using our meeting ID. All that information is in the dashboard area for members only. If you are not a member of Guardian Nation, check it out today, guardiannation.com. I don't know why you're not a member yet because it's got many incredible benefits. This is just one of the many benefits, and it's getting better all the time. We have some really exciting stuff coming in the near future for Guardian Nation members, and you're not going to want to miss out on that. So check it out, guardiannation.com, and Head on over to concealedcarry.com, get logged in the dashboard so you can get your personalized link for joining the live broadcast event with us July 31st at 7 p.m. Mountain Time with Clint Macro. So with that, let's get into today's episode. This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 242. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, joined today by co-host and producer, Matthew Marister. <laughs> hey, Riley. Every time you say producer, I'm like, man, I, I that's right. I am the producer. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Like, I, Yeah, because you, know? you, you produce like nothing. 
I don't do anything. No, that's like. not true. <laughs> Matthew has primary responsibility to organize um, a lot of our news stories and things that we cover on the news episode. He puts all that together, which is awesome. It's it's amazing, and, and he knows what to look for, and he's very good at finding the, the stories. So that's that's fantastic. That's important work for the producer to do. And the other thing he does is he lines up a lot of our guests, which is amazing too. So. Yeah, he does a lot <laughs> for the podcast now. So, hey, folks, welcome to episode 242. Today's episode brought to you by Mission First Tacticals, IWB, OWB, Appendix, Ambidextrous Holster. <laughs> I don't know. we got to work on a better name for this, guys. I, I don't actually, I don't know if I've actually looked at it on their website. I don't know if that's what they call it, but that's what we have here. It's available for sale in our store. Uh, if you support the podcast, you can. If you'd like to support the podcast, we do appreciate the support. You can check out this new holster from Mission First Tactical. Great guys, they make quality products. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash MFT holster to check it out. And today's episode is also brought to you by Holster Partner, <laughs> which is a aftermarket sweat guard attachment. For some of you, you'll find this very valuable. I've tested it. It works as advertised. It's not something that I need or care for. I, I want, in fact, I frankly despise sweat guards. I'll be honest on guns. Um, well, sometimes they're kind of necessary on some holsters. I, you know, uh, particularly on a Kydex holster. It's cool. But anyway, sometimes a guy needs a little bit more protection from the gun or the gun needs more protection from him to keep it from getting <laughs> rusted or whatever from sweat, sweat guard. So check out the holster partner, concealedcarry.com forward slash holster partner. That is H-O-L-S-T-E-R-P-A-R-T-N-E-R. I just whipped that out, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so hey guys. Uh, welcome to today's episode. This is the mega Q&A session for podcast listeners. We've had, uh, we've, we're well overdue on, on doing this. I mean, there was a time where we would do Q&A, you know, questions. We'd answer some questions and, you know, kind of as they came in and episodes and, and just due to things going on, special episodes we were already planning on doing, special interviews with special guests or just getting overall busy. We have not answered questions in a while. So I have here, you know, an I've listened to talk radio for a long time, um, and I, you know, I, this is my my moment to shine. You know, as far as like play the talk radio game. And, okay, on this on this uh, story, you, you know, wrestle the papers. I swear the the talk show host always like does that intentionally, like pulling up this this next story on the paper here. And, by the way, when questions come in, um, I print them off. This is the best way to keep track of things for me. Uh, so I kill a tree, but but at least I don't hopefully forget uh, some of them. So here we go. Uh, I guess I should kill a music. That, that should be a, pr a producer duty, man. <laughs> I don't have access to all that high speed. You don't trust me with all that. <laughs> well, the problem, yeah, it's true. The, the setup is here, and I would have you running it, but you're kind of like, 1500 miles away or whatever so you long fingers <laughs> so hey we have some questions and we got many of you participating in facebook live this evening as well so feel free to drop some questions uh, you know through facebook comments as well we'll get to everything that we can uh, but chances are there'll be some stuff that we don't get to and we'll try to save that for for another upcoming episode here soon so here we go without further ado mr marister 
Here is our first question. This is a, this is a good one. This came in from Rick Beach Carey. He says, "Hey guys, I live on the beach in South Florida. Ooh, nice. And with summer upon us, I would love to hear any suggestions you and your experts, <laughs> our experts. I love it. You give us far too much credit, Rick. Uh, might have on how to carry at the beach. Personally, I can't do off body. I need my firearm on my person." Thanks for the world of knowledge you guys have taught me. Keep up the good work. So how do we carry at the beach? Now, Jacob, by the way, responded to this guy via email and said, well, we're, we're here in the mountains of Colorado. It's not like something, you know, we don't go to the beach all the time. Now, um, that that's probably true. I mean, definitely it's not Florida. But I have been to the beach a few times, believe it or not, Jacob. And so <laughs> uh, the beach. Know, this is not a, a unfamiliar territory for me. Um, so, but I'm going to turn it first to you, Mr. Marister. Tell us what's your answer to this? What, what do you do if you're going to go to the beach, think about how you're going to be dressed or the activities you might be participating in and how you might fit concealed carry into that activity or, or lifestyle. Yeah. So I'm in Ohio, central Ohio. So I'm pretty far from the beach. Um, <laughs> at least a legit beach. I mean, we have little lakes and crap. But um, you did live but, in Southern California. Exactly. So that's what I'm going to reference. Um, <laughs> and I did, you know, I did um, carry off duty when I was in California and stuff. So um, yeah, and I did go to the beach and I was a little younger, more like fit, and, you know, <laughs> I had my guns and everything. But I think uh, probably talking about mostly like, okay, I don't have a shirt on or I might not have a shirt on, right? I just have swim trunks or whatever. And obviously, you know, if you're going to be in the water, you're probably not going to want to carry. Um, yeah. But that that's an interesting thing. So what do you do? Do you, most times when you go to the beach, you park it on a, you know, on the street or in a parking lot and there's tons of cars there. There's tons of people coming and going. Um, do you, you know, leave your gun in the car? That's you know, obviously one thing, um, a lot of people like walk down the boardwalk, they're with their family and maybe they're just walking along the beach. You're not actually going to go swimming. Um, maybe take off your shirt or whatnot. Um, but for me, the, what, what I found was the best thing to do was a belly band. Mm. Um, and that way, you know, because if you're wearing sweats or cargo pants or even swim trunks or something like that, you can drop the 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 belly band down below uh, below the the waistband. You don't necessarily have to wear a belt. So if you're wearing like swim trunks, it just kind of have a tie. You could do that. The brave response holster would be a good, I think, a good option if you're going to the beach like that, um, and you're going to not be wearing a shirt. If you're going to be wearing a shirt, like a tank top or something at the beach, um, something like really thin, um, then you could probably wear like, you can probably wear your typical IWB holster provided you're not like uh, four o'clock, five o'clock. Cause that, I find that prints a lot more when you're bending. If you're appendix, you're probably not going to print that much when you're bending. Um, and truthfully, there, you know, printing, and I don't want to get off on a tangent, but printing, I think the the person who's the carrier is way more in tune and focused on printing way more than the general public is. And I'm not saying like go, you know, stretch a spandex shirt over an, you know, OWB, you know, holster with a Glock 19 in it, because obviously it's going to print and be obvious, but little, little like printing here and there is probably not even on anybody's radar except yours. Um, so I don't know if that 
you got any yeah, other man. tips other than that? I mean, good stuff. Belly band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so this would be my response. You, if you're going to go to the beach, you got to be, you got to plan ahead. And I, and I think honestly, we need to plan ahead anytime we do anything, you know, especially even leaving the house, where are we going? What are we doing? How are we dressed? What kind of environments will I find myself in? And that di- dictates a lot of my strategies for personal defense when I leave the home. Um, you know, what, what gun am I carrying? How am I carrying it? What holster? Uh, what kind of loadout as far as like, am I just going with the gun? Do I have a spare mag? You know, what about my knife or knives, a backup gun, flashlight, right? So like, no matter what you do, anytime you're going to leave the house, especially, you got to plan ahead. Same is true at the beach. You're going to the beach. How are you going to be dressed? Are you going to be removing a shirt if you're a guy? Um, if you're a lady, you know, like, you know, maybe you're going and you're in a bikini or whatever, like, or a swimsuit, you know, a lady's swimsuit, like probably not concealed carry friendly, right? This guy is obviously asking from the perspective of a guy. Um, so once again, and that's how I will probably mostly, re- mostly respond to this. Um, you know, I'm going to the beach. Am I going to get in the water? Mm-hmm. Right. If I'm going to get in the water, I'm not taking my gun. I mean, I might have it in my car, secured in right. the car or something, but I'm not going out on the sand or to the water uh, with a gun if I know I'm going to get in the water. Okay. Because that's just dumb, especially if it's salt water. Like, come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's like one of the worst possible things you could put your gun in, uh, you know, as far as rusting or corroding the gun. Uh, ammunition in it. it could potentially get ruined. You know, so yeah, it's dumb to go into water with a gun unless you're like a Navy SEAL. Okay. So... All right, that's that's the first thing. If I'm going to go to the beach, I'm dis, I'm making the decision if I'm going to get in the water or not. Now, here's the trick: if you're going to if you're thinking ahead of time, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to get in the water today. I'm just going to watch the kids play. I'm just going to lounge about, go for a walk along the seashore, whatever it is. You you got to be careful that you don't get tempted to change up that that plan, and then find yourself in a compromised situation or or position. Um, you don't want to be in a position where you're like, oh crap, like, well, I got to take my gun off now, but I don't have a good place to put it. Well, I'll just, you know, like, like you don't want to be making compromises or, um, you know, or doing things that are, that would be inappropriate, such as leaving the gun someplace in a bag that's unsecured or it's with somebody that maybe you don't, you know, I mean, I think someone commented about, I think it was Jay, you know, like, uh, he lives in Florida and he goes to the beach and he doesn't like leaving his gun with his wife because she's a terrible shot. Well, I don't know about that, but anyway, so <laughs> this this is this is what you got to you know. So to Rick's question, you got to be thinking ahead, water or not. Okay, let's say I'm not going to get in the water. All right, cool. Uh, shirt on or not, right? That'll dictate dictate some things. Uh, belly band's great, but you know probably not as ideal if you're going to remove a shirt. Can you move it down below the waistline to where you could do that? Perhaps you could do that also with a Brave Response holster, which Jacob's a huge, that Jacob carries in a Brave Response holster like every day of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like he, he is the Brave Response holster dude, not the inventor of it, but like we sell it. Uh, we sell a lot of them and uh, we're exclusive North American dealer on Brave Response holsters. But and they, and they are a good option, you know. Any a lot of times when I'm doing athletic type stuff, as far as like going for a jog or a run or going somewhere where I'm kind of like in beach beach like attire, I, I will use a Brave Response holster as well because it works very well for those situations for me. Um, but to be honest with you, a lot of times I will just go with a with a pocket holster and yeah. a 380, and that's probably my number one go to. You know, I don't necessarily like my you know a 380 necessarily. I'd much rather carry one of my nines, 
but it serves a, those types of guns, those pocket guns, mouse guns, whatever, serve a purpose for some of those situations where the traditional carry just does not work. Yeah, I was even going to say that. Um, you know, there's been plenty of times where I've worn cargo pants and not just at the beach, but I've worn cargo pants because, you know, for whatever reason, I'm wearing a shirt that I can't conceal or I, you know, um, you know, I'm going someplace where I, I might have to unload or, or offload or something. And I'll throw, uh, like my revolver 38 special in my, my cargo pocket. Um, and, and, you know, yeah, you diminish capacity. Yeah. It's a slower draw coming from the pocket. It can Typically, be a faster draw it, it, if, certain, if you're able to start way. with a hand on the gun, right? Which right, that's right. actually one of the advantages of pocket carry. Yeah, it right. can be faster if you have a good pocket holster that orients the gun in the right way and you can grab it the it gets right out way. reliably, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that those are options and and you know, I've done that quite a bit. And you know, and like you said, you, you come up with a plan ahead of time and where what are you gonna be doing? And then you plan around that and and you kind of uh you don't you just don't wanna end up, you know, uh, in a situation where you're like, Oh crap, I have this gun. I'm, you know, two miles down the beach with my gun. And now I have to go in the water. I need to go in the water with my kid and where am I going to put it? So I put it in my bag and I wrap it up with my shirt and I put it, you know, with my stuff on the beach. And it's like, no, like you don't want to get in that situation where you have to compromise yourself. And, um, Shana even asks, you know, like for females that carry off body, what do they do um, when you're when you're in the water? And I would just say you don't carry your gun. Yeah. Like if you're planning on going in the water, just don't have your gun with you. It's it's just not there's no yeah. real good solution for it. You know? I, I do not recommend off off body. Um, re, I really don't recommend it a lot of the time, but I do know that there's some people obviously that do it. A beach scenario, I think, is just um, too potentially compromising. Um, and, and by compromising, I'm not talking about your personal safety and security. I'm talking about the likelihood of that gun falling into the hands of, of someone that shouldn't have it, especially a child, uh, which a lot of times at beaches, there are kids around. Off-body, I think, is just a really bad idea uh, in that kind of a scenario. Now, here's the, big, the other big thing relating to this topic that I think we all just have to kind of come to grips with. There are times in our lives, even when we say maybe the opposite, where we just have to come to grips with not being able to carry our gun everywhere we go. Right? I hate to say it, but it's just, it's it's the reality. It's the truth. As much as I say, I carry every day, all the time, everywhere I go. That's, well, that's, I mean, that's my, in my mind, yes, that's true. But there are some exceptions, of course. Like an airport, um, courthouse. like Exactly. Yeah. You got to fly. You got to go to the courthouse, post office, uh, some other federal. Like we got how many veterans watching the podcast here tonight? I've seen them commenting. There, there's a little bit of back and forth. Oh, I was you know, in the Army. I was Navy. Jay is both. <laughs> he served in, in both branches of, of the armed, armed forces. Um, you know, like you might be going to the VA, right? Or Social Security for some mm-hmm. of you. I mean, so – there are just times in our life where we can't carry everywhere we go. And maybe because of activities that we're doing, we can't carry. Maybe like that FBI agent doing backflips and dancing, probably not the best place or time to be carrying. Or you're you're going to you know drink and get plastered. Like, yeah, can't carry. Like, that's cool. You want to do that. And if that's what you consider to be fun, 
right on, knock yourself out, but don't do it with a gun. So then, then, you know, how do we, like, I know for some people they hear, they hear this, whoa, wait, wait, I can't carry my gun. I can't take my gun. Yeah. Sometimes that's just the way it is. And your head is not going to explode. Believe it or not that day you can't carry your gun. It's not like, it's, it's amazing. It's a miracle. You know, like <laughs> it's just not, you know, your life's not going to end because you can't carry that gun. Now we certainly hope that's not the day that, that you need it, but we, we try to minimize those occurrences. And then when we can't carry the gun, then we got to look to other strategies, which we should be looking to other strategies anyway. Right. That we're just because we don't have a gun doesn't mean we're defenseless. Yeah. No. Right. There are always yeah. other options. Uh, some people are more prepared with those other options than others. Um, we should be taking advantage of every opportunity to have a personal security plan and a way of defending ourselves and our loved ones, no matter the conditions, no matter the situation, circumstances, or whether or not we have a gun on our body or not. There you go. Sorry. Rambling, ranting away, but that's my two cents. Yeah. I mean, we could expand this topic, right? It's an awesome question. And um, I'm, I'm reading a lot of the comments on Facebook. Um, even uh, Shana said, you know, plan is if you have another adult, they stay with the cooler and all the gear and stuff like that. That's, you know, obviously something yep. you could do. And um, that That's makes sense. Um, but it, it's hard to do. You got a lot of kids. She says right there, they all move yeah. too quick. Um, you have one adult that chases after one child and another child gets in trouble out into the water. Mm-hmm. Then the other adults got to go into the water to, you know, take care of that child. And now stuff's, I mean, there's like, there's too many opportunities for things to be unsecured. Or what if the other adult doesn't have a permit? You can't leave that gun with them concealed. Exactly. Right. So anyway, all right, good question. So I'm glad we were able to address that one. Hopefully that's helpful for Rick. Here we go. Next up. Um, let's see. This actually, I, I thought this was really good. And, and even though we kind of covered this in an episode a long time ago, I still think this is good. Uh, and we'll talk about it briefly now. Zach says, hey, guys, your info is great and very informative on the many avenues of concealed carry. However, I have never heard your take on what you do when you go to the bathroom when you are carrying in the appendix position. What do you do? Keep up the good work, guys. Thanks, Zach. Um, uh, we responded to him and said, by the way, we actually did do it, a whole episode dedicated to, and it's called the CCWers Restroom Break, uh, episode episode 30. You can go back to and listen to episode 30, and where we give you a lot of tips and strategies for what to do to use the restroom when you are carrying concealed. Uh, also, we have another article you can search on our website using a bathroom with a concealed carry handgun. That'll, that'll come up with a, an article that also addresses the topic if you just want to read something about it. Um, but I will say that in episode 30, I don't know, and it's been so long ago, and I haven't listened to it recently, uh, exactly how much we talked about or specific that was specific to appendix carry. So I have some thoughts, but I want to hear yours first, Matthew. Yeah. Um, I assume, you know, the issue is because, you know, you have the, the area underneath the, the stall that's open and exposed and by, you know, just lo- allowing your, your gun to, to, to sit there, 
then it'd be exposed and people would either see it, uh, puts you at a disadvantage. Somebody could grab underneath it, grab it or something like that. So I assume that might be one of the avenues that he's talking about rather than just physically, you know, yeah, that's um, always a risk, no matter where you carry that gun. It, it, right. Exactly. So I, I think that's one of the issues and the other issues, like physically, what do you do with it? Um, you know, for me, I, I, strongly suggest that you don't like take it off your belt and or take the first of all don't take the gun out of the holster there's no need to take the gun out of the holster um so keep the gun in the holster um hopefully you have a good holster um that the gun just doesn't fall out of um when you know when your belt kind of can moves forward can right? i stop you right there at that point yeah for sure so don't forget where you're going because and this is you're correct this is the first thing leave the gun in the holster all the time now here is the thought I just had. Some holsters kind of depend somewhat on the body pressing mm-hmm. on the inside of the holster, and that contributes somewhat to the retention. So I've seen holsters that generally retain pretty well um, until you don't have it inside the, the waistline and the belt cinched up. And so, right. Mike, this that's why I had you you know hit the pause button because Mike, if if this is the case, if you have a holster that doesn't retain terribly well except for when it's actually inside the waistband then when you i mean i I still think the tip is the same as far as leave the gun in the holster however you run the risk that this gun will fall easily out of the holster uh when you know when you loosen the belt or you take it out of the out of the waistline so Mm -hmm. be be careful and cautious with that you know carefully deal with the gun and holster, leaving it in the holster. Um, and then I'll let you carry on Matthew. And I'm, you know, we've got other ideas as to what to do after that. Yeah, no, no. And that's a good point. Um, not only sometimes is the retention less on the, on the gun, but I find that, you know, you unbuckle your belt and just because it's not up against your body, the holster can flap forward. And now you have a, a gun that's pointed at you or, like you said, the gun can slide out of the holster. Um, and also, you know, depending on how you carry, you know, a lot of appendix carriers, they, they move that belt buckle over to the side. So sometimes, you know, just unbuckling the belt buckle is hard enough to try to, you know, negotiate the, the clips and everything. But my, my, my preference is if I have to, um, I undo my belt. I, you know, slide down my pants and everything. I clip my belt back together and I kind of use my, my legs pushing out to keep the, keep the belt, you know, keep my, uh, my belt tension, the tension on the belt and my holster stays place, stays in place. And it's above, you know, the viewing area of, uh, of anybody seeing underneath, you know, um, that would see underneath the, the stall unless they're like some creepy dude that really wants to see me. And there's, you know, then, you know, we got other problems, but, um, but yeah, that's what I do. Um, I know a lot of people that say, you know, I take my gun off, I put it on the thing. I just, I, I, I advise against that. It's how guns get left, um, behind. It's how, you know, they fall. You think you have it wedged in whatever you have it wedged in. Um, and it falls and then it hits the ground and the goes sliding under, you know, it's just, there's too much potential for, for something bad to happen. So I would highly recommend that, you know, um, and I don't think this was, this was geared towards just appendix carry, but I think the the concept remains the same for for every carry is just um, keep it on your belt is provided that you can maintain control over that holster so it doesn't fly out and um, 
it, you'd be surprised if you just refasten your belt and just kind of put a little tension there, everything stays put. And, uh, unless you're going to be in there for, you know, hours on end, you're, you're doing like, you know, Pilates in there or something like that. I don't know, but, um, yeah, that, that's what works for me. So I don't know if you do the same thing. That's that's great, man. Um, I, you know, I, I follow a similar uh, course of action. I, I don't necessarily, necessarily redo up the, the belt, but let me explain what I do. Uh, actually, let me back up a couple of things that I just want to make clear. I think these are kind of like some cardinal rules that must be obeyed. Uh, we already t- kind of touched on one of them. One is always leave the gun in the holster. Number two is to never remove the gun end or holster from the body and or pants and place somewhere in the stall while you're doing your business. Just don't do it. I can just about guarantee you every single story, news story, and they're out there where a gun is found in a bathroom, including by law enforcement officers. It has happened. Every time it happens, it's because the gun is removed from the individual and placed somewhere in the stall while they do their business. And then you get done with your business and you pull everything back together and you walk out the door and, you know, it's out of mind, right? So leave gun in holster, never take gun off off body or pants or whatever and place somewhere in the stall. Um, And number three would be making sure that the gun is not accessible from a neighboring stall. Okay. And keeping it, you know, secure and by secure also out of sight, I would say. So here's what I do. Uh, appendix specific, and, and this works very well for the appendix position because of where the gun is placed in the appendix position. IWB is a little bit less um, easy to, to do, but still possible. You just need to be mindful of the positioning of the gun and holster. And I'll tell you, IWB, meaning the classic like four o'clock position, especially, or, or even three o'clock, IWB or OWB is very easy for that gun to be visible and or reachable from a neighboring stall. Okay, if you're not careful with what you're doing. Now, what I do, especially in the appendix position, is, you know, undo the belt, undo the pants, start sliding things down. And when I get, you know, about halfway down my leg, I let the gun and holster basically just tip into the pants. And the pants become a little cradle for for my gear, right? And I sit down and do my thing, right? And I, I, I just kind of keep everything right there at or near the knees. Um, and, you know, the gun is out of sight. It's secure. It's in the cradle of my pants. So, like, I can't forget it because, obviously, when I go to pull things up, there's a gun there. Now, the trick is when it's time to put yourself back together, right? Um, this is where you, you there may be sometimes a need for an exception to the second rule I gave, which was to never, ever, ever place the gun and or holster somewhere else in the stall while you're doing your business. Not I said while you're doing your business be, for a very specific reason, because I would rather you not drop your gun and or gear and have it go sliding somewhere away from you or potentially even discharge while you're in this restroom. If you're struggling to put yourself back together while you're holding onto this gun and holster. Cause I'll tell you this much, Matthew, I have had, I have a hard time getting the pants and the belt and everything back up and on me 
with the gun and holster still attached. Hmm. I, I, I've, you know, it depends on the holster. And, you know, because there's been times where this is, a, you know, it's a little bit more easy to, to do than other times. Um, but I will say that with this particular setup, I'm holding up in the screen. This is a 365, P365 from SIG in a gray gun slash filster holster. It's got two loops there, soft loops. This is my my new favorite holster. Uh, so far for appendix carry, for a, a you know good hard-sided Kydex-type holster, this is the most comfortable and, and the best that I've found yet. Um, this guy, I just, I struggle getting everything, you know, because of it being soft loops and everything, like, as I pull things up, it tends to want to sort of fall off the belt. Um, I, you know, I just, yeah, it's a little bit trickier than some of the other, like IWB, I, I no problem with, like if it stays there, you can pull everything up and it stays kind of put that that's not that big a deal. So this is what I do. I'll take this off at the point that I am pulling the pants up. I have removed this from the, from the belt. I will tuck it underneath my armpit, pull everything up. Even this, though, sometimes can be a little bit tricky to keep that in the armpit as you're fastening things or whatever. If you feel like you are at risk of dropping this, then at that point, I would say set it. If there's a shelf, if there's a toilet paper dispenser, the back of the toilet, like if I would rather you not drop the gun, then make sure you never, ever, ever break the rule number two that I gave. But the exception would be that you only place it temporarily when you are actually in the act of trying to put yourself back together and put the gun back on you. Does that make sense? So you're yeah. far less likely to leave it. You know, you're actually standing there, maybe facing the toilet or, or whatever. So that, you know, like you're like, if you, if you go, Oh crap, I'm having a hard time keeping this, you know, on my armpit or whatever. Well, okay. Set it there. It's in, in front of your face. You're pulling your pants up, doing your belt. Okay. Stick the gun and holster back on. See what I'm saying? So that's kind of the way I go about this. Um, so to each their own, but I think hopefully this is a good takeaway or that, that there's something good to take away for each of you listening um, as far as some kind of guidelines and principles that I think if you generally follow, you'll be in pretty good shape. Yeah. For, for me, I mean, I don't know, maybe it's just my, my body style, but I'm able it's to my like, big fat gut. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I have a gut too. Everybody's <laughs> got one, but like I, I'm able to like hold on to my, my belt and my holster with this hand and the other half of my belt and like kind of just like hold it up, buckle it and actually like just suck in my gut a little bit and pull it up and then buckle, you know, and then finish cinching yeah. down my belt where like, I don't actually take off the holster. Um, but it, it you know, it is holster specific. It, it definitely yeah. is. holster. And I would say too. that way is the preferred method. Um, but for whatever reason, I, and that's the way I've typically done it. But this one has given me fits, like to where <laughs> I've almost dropped it, you know, <laughs> a, as I'm like trying to do that. Um, well, it's not a so, 320, so you're good, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, yes. Various observation I, of you. I had, I had to make the comment because I knew somebody would. Well, if, uh, if our buddy, you know, if our uh, um, managing editor of conciliacarry.com were participating today, he, he would have for sure made that joke. <laughs> That's he makes that joke all the time. <laughs> he's he's here in, in heart and mind, right? <laughs> okay, cool. That was a good, good, good question. Um, everybody on Facebook going okay? I mean, Jay here says, it's yeah. tricky to pull up your pants while you're putting all your gear back on. Yeah, totally. 
And Jay said he does pretty much basically the same exact thing you do. So yeah. he is a uh, he's drinking from the same same batch of Kool Aid. Yep. All righty. <clears throat> Let's see here. This is not. I don't think this is so much a question, but I just wanted to give this guy a shout out. This is Ben, and he writes and says, "My ben, my name is Ben. I have now been listening to the podcast for a couple of years. Well, that's awesome because we've only been doing it two and a half years, so that means he's probably been listening since the beginning or close to it. And absolutely love the content you guys put out. You guys have taught me a ton and really furthered my interest in the firearms community. I'm currently 20 and living in New Jersey. I'm sorry." <laughs> Since I was 15, I, was, I always loved firearms, and now I'm exploring more into the concealed carry community as I do want to carry when I turn 21 next year. Good luck with that because you're in New Jersey. Not exactly a shallow issue state, so I, 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 I seriously wish you all the luck, Ben, and I'm glad that you've uh, found our content and everything to be so inspirational. Uh, makes me really happy. The current laws passed here in New Jersey, as I'm sure you're aware, have every fun I think that's supposed to be gun lover. <laughs> every fun lover is what's written here. But has every gun lover here angered? Totally. At my local gun shop, the wait list to have mags pinned, oh, mags pinned for capacity issues, is about four to six weeks at a minimum. For me being the gun guy out of my friends, I'm constantly debating and talking with people about more legislation and, and informing people about firearms and ownership. Good, good for you, Ben. Listening to the current podcast, you guys talked about the shooting at the Trenton Art Art Show, and I have to say I didn't hear much about the shooting. I was surprised when I heard about the shooting on our local news station. I'm surprised that there was not more uh, talking about this uh, in your area there, Ben. I'll end it here by saying thank you guys for having a great podcast and keeping us informed. And remember to train right and train often so you can fight fight fast and fight hard. Nice. Very cool, Ben. So, yeah, I just I just wanted to give this guy mad props for writing this in. But I also wanted to just – it's not really a question, but I think it brings up a good uh, topic. And we, it's something we've talked about on the podcast before, Matthew. But I like that he says that he uh, has these opportunities and he takes the opportunity to talk with people about gun laws and and it's clear that he's trying to educate them on you know what 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 is truth and facts and all this stuff as it relates to guns and gun ownership and gun rights um i i would just say here that my comment to you Ben is that i i, I hope all of our podcast listeners and all gun owners and concealed carriers uh would be as responsible as you and that you would be a responsible gun owner set a good example and take the op- these opportunities to talk in a reasonable, factual-based uh, way with your friends and family or coworkers or, or, or even your legislators in your state because you've got quite a battle to take on there. Um, ever since Governor Christie especially, uh, I mean, that was like, yeah, he's, he, he's not the only one in your state that's a politician that was pro-gun, I'm sure, but that's a pretty powerful person to have on your side. And now that he's not there, uh, that's that's a pretty scary situation to be in. So anyway, um, talk with your friends and family and coworkers and everybody you can. Let's be good stewards of the Second Amendment and set set a good example. Yeah, for sure. I, and I wanted to just you know touch on one thing that you were talking about, and I see it all the time. Like we post articles on Facebook or whatnot, and um, and almost inevitably in certain types of, of 
uh, articles we'll post, mainly the ones about like, you know, how do you educate, you know, how do you talk about AR-15s or how do you talk about, um, you know, the slippery slope and people almost inevitably, there will be a conversation thread that begins somewhat like this. Um, I don't have to explain my rights, you know, they're my rights and I don't have to explain it to anybody. And it's like, that is, it's just not, I understand what they're trying to say is like, oh, I don't have to, you know, defend, or I shouldn't have to defend my rights because they're my rights. And I don't have to say anything to anybody to persuade them. But the fact is we live in reality and there are a lot of people that a don't care, you know, they don't care to, to learn about firearms and, and they're just scared of them. And then there's a portion of them that are just ignorant, not in a bad way, but ignorant to firearms, firearm laws, the, the realities that are around firearms. And these are the people that you have to engage with, with reasonable dialogue and education um, in common sense, because you're not going to, your, your goal is, or your, the objective, you're not going to swing everybody over to your side. And if you try to go into every conversation, trying to, you know, change everybody's point of view, it's, you're, you're probably going to get agitated, angry that people are, you know, resisting your, what you're saying. But if you go there with the idea of, I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm just, what I want to do is give you, educate you in, in a logical way and present facts and, and reasonable thoughts and coherent statements. And, you know, you think about it and, and see if that makes sense to you. You'll be surprised at how many people, they might not come over to your side completely, but they won't be totally anti-gun. They won't be totally uh, averse, you know, to, to uh, pro-gun stuff. So, you know, like, like you were saying, you know, talk to people, even if, especially the other side, you know, we preach to the choir a lot, but we preach to each other and we're all like, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I agree. But what about the people that, you know, that don't really know? Um, And so, you know, engage these people and it's, it doesn't hurt and it only makes you look a lot better, a lot more educated and you can help people. So, yep. It's kind of a long winded thing, but yeah. Yeah. Shut your mouth, man. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you know, so we actually had a, a little question come in here that I, I normally probably wouldn't um, take time to answer something that's so, so specific to a, a state. Um, but uh, I know we have a lot of listeners in Texas. So Rigo asks, after you change your address on your driver's license, how do you change it on your, um, he says CHL, but Texas is now using the language LTC license to carry. Um, and, and I, you know, a real quick Google search, uh, Rigo. I just I just Googled Texas uh, LTC change of address, and bam, and I'm on the state site. Okay, and here's the thing: you have a change of address. Uh, you got 30 days to get that changed on your permit. This is true in a lot of states. It's true definitely here in Colorado. If I have a change of address, I got 30 days to get that done. I'll tell you, it's a lot easier in Texas than it is here in Colorado uh, for a lot of folks. Um, Texas is cool in that they have an online system for you know, that's how you apply for your permit. It goes to your training and all this stuff. You got to do fingerprinting, you know, but, but the, the management of the application and all that's done basically online, which is cool. And so you have an account and what you need to do, Rigo, is just go log in to, you know, just go to the Texas um, Department of Public Safety. Okay. It, it's their regulatory services division. And if you just 
well, you've probably been to that site before, but if you just Google, honestly, Texas LTC change of address, you should get there pretty easily. But all you got to do is log into that system and submit the change of address and you should be good to go. Okay. Really easy, dude. So hopefully that's helpful for you. Also, uh, Chris asks, um, I think it was, no, Don, Don asks, what do you think about CC or I believe he's saying concealed carry insurance worth it? Uh, Jay responds, yes, the insurance is worth it. Twenty one ninety five a month. There's a lot of different plans out there. A lot of different companies now providing it. Uh, you've got uh, obviously USCCA, which is probably the big, big, biggest player. CCW Safe, NRA Carry Guard, US Law Shield or Texas Law Shield. Then there's a there's a number of others, right? I think you should definitely look into one of those programs. Um, and I think pretty much at the top of those programs. I mean, not necessarily in any particular order, but I, I really like USCCA. I really like uh, uh, CCW Safe, and I really like US Law Shield. All right, I think they're all doing a really good job. There's there's others too that are doing a good job, uh, but I think those are the, the biggest players. Carry Guard, mm, I'm not so keen on, uh, but uh, yeah. And also we have some really exciting stuff coming. Uh, we've not officially announced it. There's a few people out there that know maybe, but but there's a really exciting thing relating to. One of those big players and Guardian Nation members, this is just a hint. I hope, well, hopefully Jacob doesn't, you know, hopefully he doesn't get mad at me, but something really <laughs> exciting is coming, just so you all know. Okay. So, anyway, definitely, Don, I would encourage you to look into those. And if I were looking into one, um, I'd, I'd maybe look at USCCA and, and maybe hold off like a week or two. <laughs> okay. All right. That's enough. Um, let's see. Okay, next question. Um, this is Chase, and he writes and says that um, he recently posted a jack of all trades post on the Nextdoor app. Nextdoor is a, like a social media uh, application for like your neighborhood. All right. I've been to several people's houses doing odd jobs and whatnot. I want to carry because a time or two I have felt uneasy and in a sketchy situation. I do my best to drive by the house and assess assess the situation before doing my jobs. But the question I had is what if I, can, if I concealed carry while on the job? I wasn't sure what the legal aspect of that was on someone else's property. I do have my CCW, but I wanted to get your opinion on this before doing so. Good question. All right. And I, and I can speak to this somewhat from experience because I have done, you know, my other career in life has been in the construction industry, including running my own business, actually two different businesses, one of which I did do. I, mean, I wasn't a handyman necessarily, but I sometimes got some of those smaller jobs that that's kind of what it was, you know. I mean, there was always that, you know, person I knew or neighbor or somebody in the neighborhood that'd be like, hey, can you replace this door for me or something? Yeah, you know, like, so I was always in all kinds of different people's houses and uh, doing all these different projects all, all across this this metro area where I live. Um, and so I, ca- I carry concealed many, you know, most of the time when I was doing that type of work, although I did have some government contracts for a time where I, I, I couldn't carry concealed. Obviously we just got done talking about times where you, you can't carry concealed or can't have a weapon or whatever. So, um, I think what he, I think what Chase, I think what you're saying is, you know, is there a legal issue with me carrying concealed into all these other people's homes 
and they don't know it. Maybe, you know, hopefully they don't know it. I would say they, they probably shouldn't know. Right. And they, they might not necessarily like guns in their home, but you know what? I, 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 it's funny to say this, but I didn't even think about it. Matthew, Mm -hmm. Chase, I, I would be carrying concealed and I'd go to people's houses and do my thing. And it never even crossed my mind that one of them might have an, well, okay, that's not true. There was one, there was one couple, uh, that I could tell just interacting with them. I'm pretty sure they were not gun people. (laughs) That was probably the one time, uh, that I was like, if they knew I had a gun on me right now, they probably (laughs) wouldn't like it. But guess what? Here's the thing. Unless it's posted, unless they tell you otherwise, I'm not aware of any state law anywhere that says that you're not allowed to carry in other people's homes. What most states might have on the books, though, would be that it, you know you cannot carry on the property of of on, on the private property of someone that doesn't want you to, sort of thing. Right. right? So they can prohibit it. Right, but if they don't, if they don't know what they don't know. So there's no opportunity for them to inform you that they do not wish that. So, and chances are, if they knew that you had something anyway, they'd probably, you know, not want you on the job anyway. So, oh well, big deal. Um, unless, unless you get to their house and you know they're like, hey, just before you enter, just so you know, <laughs> I'm not a gun fan. So if you have a, yeah, I, I don't think, you know, I guess in that situation, you'd probably be like, okay, I think you need a different, different dude to do your job here or whatever. Yep. But it's your safety. I mean, if you go into sketchy areas, like you said, I mean, and that's your job and you have to be there. You can't, you know, turn the job away. Um, I know a lot of people that, you know, they, they would tell me like, um, different, uh, like kind of like contractor people, but people that have to go into, into homes and do, um, uh, estimates, give them estimates on certain things. And I would talk to them and they'd be like, yeah, I go into these shady areas and I'm always caring because I go into like project areas where there's like crap going on and I'm there and it's like in the next apartment over and the next home over. And I'm like, dude, this is, <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, yep. if you're in a shady area, I mean, your life is your life. And so I know you're talking legally speaking and stuff, but, um, yeah, I mean, unless they tell you, Hey, I don't want you in here with a firearm. I mean, yep. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. I mean, so Chase, I, I think you're overthinking a little bit too much, buddy. Um, just do your thing, be responsible about it, obviously. And, uh, make sure it stays concealed. Like that's and, like, that's the number one thing is if you know, carry it concealed, don't worry about it, but make sure it stays concealed. I guarantee you the day that your gun prints or becomes visible and you're in the home of somebody that doesn't like guns, like boom, you are, you are out. Right. And, and I would, I would mention this and I, I would, you know, I don't want to be remiss in not mentioning this, but like a lot of states, uh, or, or a lot of states allow their employer to prohibit the employee from carrying firearms. So yeah, totally. let's say, you know, that's a different situation where like you go on the property, it's concealed, you're doing your thing. All of a sudden it's not concealed. They see it. They say, Hey, I, d- I didn't know you had a gun. I don't want guns on my property. And they call your employer and say, Hey, your dude's out here with a gun. Yep. They could probably fire you. So that's a problem. And, yeah, and Jay says sy- that right here. He says he, he can't carry on the job, a company right. policy. So, and yeah, so, so he doesn't because he doesn't want to lose. He doesn't want to be at risk of losing his job. Right, totally right. reasonable, dude. Like, yep. you know, it sucks that you can't carry. And I know some people probably would still carry, even if their company didn't or had a policy against guns. 
that's a risk that you're taking. And you know what? You made that decision. That's cool. Yeah. I just wanted to differentiate between the two. Totally. Totally. Also, Jay comments, look at firearms legal protection, 2195 a month. It carries or covers both civil and criminal to include loss of wages and for experts in court. Um, that's cool. And just so you know, like many of the big time players do the same thing. Now USCCA has basically that those same coverage options, uh, CCW safe. I mean, so there's many options. You guys, we have a comparison chart on our website. Um, I don't, I can't think of what the like short link is or a direct link that I can just give you right now, but, uh, we'll try to look that up, put it in the show notes, uh, or drop it here in the, in the Facebook comments. But if you just Google, uh, uh, self-defense insurance comparison chart, it will come up like it'll be the first, second or third option in Google. In fact, I'm going to do it right now. Self-defense, just, just Google this. Okay, self-defense insurance comparison chart. Let's see where we're ranking on this right now, Matthew. Uh, self-defense insurance. Uh, okay, maybe I. No, there it is. Okay, it's a little. Oh, these are these. <laughs> there's four ads. <laughs> there's four ads. Ad, 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 ad. We are the number. You know, the first result on this. Okay, which is kind of what I thought. I had a hard time finding it at first because I was not expecting four ads. That tells you USCCA, US Law Shield, all these guys are like really hitting that search term very heavy. Um, but anyway, if you go, we have a comparison chart just it, and explains a lot of these different programs and and compares the coverages and costs. Okay. So that would, I would encourage you to check that out. Um, I think, you know, I just noticed the time, Matthew. I think let's do one more question and wrap it up for the, the evening. What do you think? Cool. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, this one's fun. From Steve. Hey guys, thanks for all you do that all you're doing there. You all have been very influential in my walk before getting my CCW and after. Have you guys reviewed the SIG P three six P three sixty five yet? If so, what episode? Thanks again for what you do and the time it takes to do it. Happy Independence Day to you. You can obviously tell when he sent this message. Um so I know we've talked about it in a couple episodes, not necessarily from like an official review standpoint, but just re- referenced it. Uh, Matthew's been, you've, you've got one, you've been shooting it, kind of testing it out. I've got, actually I have two right now. Um, so I I wanted to go ahead and just answer Steve's uh, question. Um, this one, you know, realize that Matthew, you did an article comparing the P365 and the Walter PPS yeah, the M2. It wasn't so yeah. much, you know, I it wasn't so much just a, a review of the of the 365, although I did say, you know, what I found in it uh, or what I felt. Um, but it was more just like, hey, these two guns, what what, what are similar, what's different, and mm-hmm. and kind of. Um, but yeah, it yep. wasn't a, a down and dirty, you know, two thousand round torture tests like you're doing. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So. Um, I want to get your your input on on the P365. I was going to let you guys all know though that I do have a review coming soon. <laughs> I've been working on it for a while, uh, but the cool thing is, is the longer it's been taking me to get the review actually put together, the more rounds I keep sending down this sucker, which means I've got a lot more data on the P365 uh, than I would have, you know, even a month or two ago. So, Matthew, uh, kind of like give us a quick you know rundown of. Uh, you know, kind of a mini review of the P365. 
Yeah. So, I mean, uh, okay. You got to address the elephant in the room. Um, as far as what about the mouth, there's so many malfunctions and this and that and broken primers and, or, uh, firing pins and all this. Um, you know, I haven't found, I, I put now it's probably upwards. I want to say 1500 rounds maybe, um, through the gun. And, um, and I've had, three maybe four malfunctions with it um two of those three of those were um uh steel case ammunition and the one i had was at this last class um the the guard triple guardian class and uh i had a uh, a failure to extract so a double feed um mm-hmm. and that was the only time i had it and uh, but as far as the gun itself it's been other than the, that, those four is incidents um, where I probably wouldn't be shooting steel case ammunition, anyways, uh, especially for self defense. But um, you know, I'm 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 satisfied with the the reliability at least of my gun. Um, I like the I like the sights that are on it. The sights are really good for a for a you know a stock factory sight. Uh, it's big green high vis front sight the the rear sights they do have two dots but they're not like obtrusive or like big gaudy dots they're just kind of uh subdued there and it has a black uh rear sight uh it's a 90 degree angle so you can really use it you, you know use one hand the gun is super small but it doesn't feel small in the hand, I guess. Um, it, you know, I, I have uh, I have a forty three here, and like I guess what it is is, you know, most of the guns in that size size range, the, the grips are really narrow, and I think maybe the the, the th- little thicker grip of the three sixty five makes it a little feel a little bit better in the hand or bigger in the hand, I guess. Um, yeah, I like it. It shoots really well. Um, taking the parts easy. Uh, I, I just, I, I like it. It's, 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 I, I carried a Glock 27 for, I don't know, 12 years as an off duty gun, uh, and transitioned into my everyday carry forever. Um, and I tried a lot of guns and I liked them and I never, you know, switched, um, the 365 had me switch. I switched because um, just because of the capacity uh, is in the size is just it's I don't know it's the perfect combination I guess of capacity and size and so um, and I got smaller hands um, Riley you got bigger hands and you can say how it feels in your hand but I'll tell mm-hmm. you in my hand it feels it feels fine and, and even with the smaller mags now uh, the extent the 12 round mag does feel like night and day better like yep. it does give you super grip but even with the non pinky extended 10 round magazine super flush um like i said i have smaller hands but i can i can get a good grip and i can shoot it well so um so yeah that's my kind of long-winded little yep. teaser of the 365 cool man this supposed to be thirty seconds, but uh, you know, I'm just teasing. Okay, so here, here's my uh, my quick and dirty. Um, so this is uh, Exhibit A. I've got my 365 right here in front of the camera. Um, it's clear, guys. <laughs> All you safety Nazis out there. Okay, so um, 
this particular specimen has it's I don't have the exact count right now. I've sort of lost that, and it's pretty easy to do when you're going through training courses and stuff. You're teaching. I wasn't, you know, I was teaching a class. I was shooting some, obviously. We shot, you know, you and I shot, you know, several hundred rounds over three days uh, a couple weekends ago in Cincinnati. Uh, but I'm not paying attention to how many I'm actually loading. But we we kind of have a sense about how many we shot. Okay, so this guy has close to three thousand rounds through it, and I've got. Uh, Hold on, let me think a second. One, two, three. I believe it's a whopping. Oh, well, possibly four. Okay, okay, all right. So let me. Okay, let me clarify. All right, so I my first malfunctions I had with this gun were at around mm, seven hundred rounds ish, and it was with aluminum cased ammunition. I had two of them within about two magazines, so relatively high failure rate rate with aluminum cased. I shot a total of. Well, here's what's interesting. I think I shot, I'd have to double check my notes. I think I shot 200 rounds of aluminum case, but it might've only been a hundred. Um, and so I kind of stopped shooting aluminum case after that point. Now I was testing a lot of different ammos, uh, different bullet weights, configurations, hollow points, FMJs, different, you know, casing, whatever. Okay. So, um, in aluminum case, I had a couple of failures within a relatively short period of time, and I thought, okay, doesn't like aluminum cased, but everything brass cased up to that point fed no problem. Shortly after that, I did have an F... And by the way, those two failures were both FTE extracts, okay? Failure to extracts like yours, Matthew. Mm -hmm. Uh, So basically double feeds. Um, Empty case stuck in chamber, you know, next round trying to push up into its rear, Okay. That was aluminum cased, and a short time later, I was shooting some plus P loads, and I've shot uh, probably a couple hundred plus P loads through this now. Uh, well, a couple hundred. I mean, I mean, it's somewhere between 100 and 200. Uh, and I had one failure with Winchester, I think it was, plus P. I think it was a 124 grain bullet. Um, one failure with plus P. Brass cased. Not sure if that was an, an anomaly, but it, I have to count it. It's a failure. Um, standard pressure brass cased ammunition defensive or otherwise i have not had a single other failure except i had a failure to feed meaning it got stuck picking it up off the magazine to push it you know it kind of like got hung up in the uh, feed ramp area with it was when i was intentionally limp wristing the gun so that i don't know that i would count necessarily because i was intentionally trying to induce a failure just to see what its inherent, you know, likelihood was. And, uh, but I've demonstrated on a number of occasions. We did it in the class even where I, I intentionally limp wristed this thing mm-hmm. and didn't, you know, out of couldn't. a full magazine, no problem. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. You couldn't get it to do it. So I would say shooting good quality brass cased ammunition to have only that many failures where most of them pretty much, I, I don't know about that plus P one, but I'll tell you, aluminum cased or steel cased, don't use it. If you, if you know, I know. Although I have seen reports of guys that have said that they've shot a lot of aluminum or steel cased with no problems. But your experience, my experience, and a few other people I've talked to, it's a no go. Now, some guys would be like, "Well, all my other guns shoot steel and aluminum cased, no problem. This gun right. should be able to do it." Okay, whatever. All right, you know. But I care about reliability in a defensive context and the way this thing is configured right now with the loads that I have, I'm absolutely 100% confident that it will function reliably. And so thus I carry it and have been carrying it since I got 1400 rounds through it with 
you know, with those limited number of failures. Okay. Now I did witness Matthew's FTE on the range in Cincinnati. And I thought that was interesting. Um, that's the first time I witnessed that with brass cased ammo personally. Um, but that was what on day, was that on day two or day one? No, that was day one. And I, and I, I will tell you, and it was one of the earlier, like maybe after, I want to say maybe it was the beginning of day two. You know what is the beginning of day two and probably after about 250, 300 rounds. Um, But I will tell you that, and this is not like an, I'm not making an excuse or anything, but I'm saying um, it could have been due to my gun was pretty filthy. Um, My gun was pretty filthy and, uh, and it, we were, we were running it quite a bit. And, uh, and so could have been something that just, hey, because I cleaned it after that and it ran fine. So right. whether right. it was just, uh, you know, whether that was what it was or what whether it wasn't, um, I don't know. But, you know, you never know what what can cause a, a malfunction. Yep. But. Yep. Um, so certainly. Now, by the way, Shana comments here and she was in that Cincinnati class. Uh, so Shana says around 2,100 rounds through hers. That good for you, Shana. That's, uh, that's awesome. Cause there's so many people out there, by the way, that complain about this gun and maybe they fired four boxes of ammo through their gun. Right. Um, I love to see people that actually shoot and use their guns and get very, you know, intimately familiar with them. Uh, she says 2,100 rounds, handful of malfunctions, but love just about everything with the gun. Definitely would use 12 round mags. They look like this get that little extension there and it does make a world of difference especially for a guy with larger hands although here's the standard flush fit which this is actually what i was carrying with today and i have shot with these little guys a number of times normally i can't stand shooting like a glock 43 or a shield where i can't get that you know whole hand on the grip of the gun I don't know what it is about this gun. It's the little gun that feels like a bigger gun than it is when it's in my hand and I shoot it. I don't know how to explain it. It just, they've, they've done very well with designing the ergonomics of this gun, uh, making it work. Um, I'm totally comfortable shooting these 10 round shorty mags and it's still way more capacity than, than his com- competitors out there. Um, so definitely would use, going back to Shana's words, would use 12 round mags for the range days, but love the flush fit mags for carry. And she's a lot smaller person than me. I carry in the 12 rounders all the time. Uh, generally don't have a problem. Occasionally I've worn like a little bit tighter t-shirt or something. And I go, I'll go over to these and I have no problem with that. They, they, it, with this magazine in the gun, it's so freaking concealable. It's insane. <laughs> She says it shoots anything and everything I put through it. She, I think, Shana, you had also one failure, one malfunction during the course, if I remember correctly. Um, so, you know, I know there's here, – here would be my, my wrap-up of this. What I think about the P365 is that out of the malfunctions it's likely to experience, it seems a little – quite a bit more um, – it seems inherently like if it's going to have a malfunction, it's likely to be a double feed. Double feed malfunctions are the hardest malfunctions to clear. So something you should be very, she says three in the course. I do not remember that Shana. Um, that's interesting. Hmm. Okay. So, um, it's seems to be rather inherent for some reason. There's something about it. And I honestly think it's the short travel 
of the barrel and the slide before it starts unlocking and that the pressures in the case have not totally, uh, you know, come down enough to where this case is unsticking. So the extractor is pull, you know, it's jumping off of the, uh, rim of the cartridge and it's causing a malfunction. That's what I kind of think. Um, I don't know if it's something that they can address with a better extractor. I think the extractor on them looks pretty well designed, a tighter spring. I, d- I don't know. Um, but mine's been very reliable, so I'm happy with it. I don't know. I will say though, get the, yeah, I know some people will say, well, that's just unacceptable three over the course of a, of a course. Um, yeah, that might be true. I don't know. Keep in mind that she's also using different ammunition than higher quality self-defense ammo during that course. Here's the other thing too. put this in context. How many other guns, Matthew, did we see have malfunctions during the the three days of shooting where every student shot mm, close to 1,200 rounds? Yeah, so we had, I know there was a Millennium PT-111 that was just having feeding issues like constantly. Yep, the Taurus did not do well. No, we had uh, a Glock that like took a crap. Um, Yep, the Glock 34. mm -hmm. Struggled Um, big time. It was a... I think it was a brand new Probably ammunition related. Yeah. Yeah. Although he Um, said that the same ammunition in the 17 didn't seem to have as many failures. Right. I don't know. Um, What else? I'm trying to think of any of the other malfunctions we had. uh, Can't think of, I can't think of, we had, I mean, we had some. I'll I'll tell you what I saw. I saw several from the Taurus. I saw several Mm -hmm. from a Glock 17. I saw one, I think Rob may have had one additional one with his Glock 17, but I don't remember for sure on that. I know I saw at least one out of the MMP. Yeah, that somebody yeah was you're showing. right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, then we had an XD and an XD Mod 2. And you remember the only time that that one failed was user induced? Remember with the grip? The, there was that. Okay. Yeah. I remember that. But I'm pretty sure the other XD also had one failure. I'm not sure what type of failure, but pretty sure. Oh, you're. I know you're talking about that particular issue with the grip, the grip safety. That yeah, yeah that's yeah. true, true, true. Because we had just talked about that, and we we're yep. like, eh, and then he did it. Um, but yeah, um, but yeah, I, I mean, every. Yep. Let's put it this way: every, every, not every gun out there, but a good majority of them had at least one one stoppage along the line. That, that's some- the thing, and that's the important thing to keep in mind, okay, is that the majority of guns in that three-day course had malfunctions at some point. And that's mm-hmm. the reality when you when people actually get out and train, like, intensely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay? And meaning that they're shooting a lot of rounds, guns are getting dirty, and not just from you know, gunpowder residue and stuff, but also from the dirt, um, and the atmosphere, the, the environment, um, hands are getting sweaty. People are getting tired. Grips are not as ideal as they normally are. Y- you see what I mean? Like this is what you happens when you th- actually train with your gear. Mm-hmm. You, I, I have seen as a firearms instructor, as a law enforcement firearms instructor, where most of the people I've worked with as a, as a law enforcement, as a post certified handgun instructor, most of those guys carry MMPs and Glocks mm-hmm. and some SIGs. I've seen malfunctions from everything. Okay. So now I get that in a clean, you know, 
range environment that most of those guns rarely have issues. Um, and this one seems to, at least initially in reports, have had some, some malfunction issues. That may be. Mine is pretty dang reliable. I'm happy with it. Um, great little gun. I like it. Easy to shoot. Very accurate. Uh, great trigger. High capacity for its size. Very concealable. Awesome sights, like you mentioned. Um, I like it. There's probably some wrinkles that they've got to iron out from SIG. That happens with, guess what? It happened with the 43. It happened with the 42. Big time. They had big time issues with the 42. Happened with the shield. Happened with the M&P line of pistols with dead triggers. It's happened with every basically major modern firearm release. Okay, there's probably been some exceptions, I'm sure. VP9s had issues. Okay? John Correa was big, like, swore off VP9s. No, that wasn't John. It was Tim. The military arms channel swore off VP9s because he had one lockup on him. But now it's cool with it because they ironed out the problems. Okay. It's part of the process. It's the way it goes. I like it. We got a question from Frankie. It says uh, Gen 4 Glock 19 or Smith & Wesson 2.0 compact with the new trigger. He wants our preference. Guess what? They're both awesome guns. I don't know what else to say, Frankie. Sorry, bud. If you're a Glock guy, go with the Glock. If you are not a Glock guy and you like, I mean, I think, I think what it is, is Glock has a specific feel. It has a specific way that it fits in your hand. And if you shoot Glocks, you understand and you like that and you're, you're prone to it. You know, you, you pick that up. Um, and at least for me, when I switched out, when I shoot other shot, other guns and I shot Glocks pretty much all the time, it, I, it would feel different. Whereas now that I shoot, I shoot a lot of the SIG, mostly when I pick up a Glock, it feels a little bit different. So I think mm -hmm. it's just kind of like, you know what I mean? It oh, kind yeah. of feels just what feels natural to you. The, uh, I think a big thing that I would do is look at the, the controls on the gun or the, the manual of arms of the gun. How do you hit the, the slide stop? How does the magazine release feel in your hand? Because those types of things are going to lend you to one gun or the other, you know, yeah. how do the sites look and, and yeah, you could get aftermarket sites and things like that. But yep. those types of things are the, are the biggest things, especially if you have smaller hands like me, I have to definitely feel, can I reach the magazine re release? Can I hit the slide stop and, and things like that? Yep. So Shana comments here that she knows Jacob does not like to compare guns, um, which is true. Like Jacob is hesitant to, um, uh, and, and this is totally cool. And like, I understand that perspective entirely that especially as, when he's teaching like a concealed carry class, like he, he doesn't want to like bias people necessarily towards one gun or another. He doesn't want to like just give his opinion. Like he wants people to find what works best for them and, you know, fits them the best, which is, that is the, like, that's the correct advice. What we're talking about here, of course, is like, how does this gun do? How does it perform? What's it capable of? What are some of its potential problems? And we could do that with every every gun. Not talking about how good of a gun. You know, I'm not going to say this is the, the gun for everybody. I'm not mm -hmm. right. Or is I it like it. Than X gun. Shana yeah. likes it. By the way, that's two two opposites. Shana has got you know small, thin hands. I've got you know big meaty uh, things. Meat and, hooks. <laughs> meat hooks. Yeah, you know. So you know, she likes it. I like it. You know, chances are many other people like it too. That's fine. That's cool. You know. Um, she says also that, uh, yeah, they all fail at some point. It's all personal preference. Just take care of them, keep them clean, and they'll keep going. Yeah. And actually, more importantly than even clean, keep them lubed. I can't tell you actually how many guns. And we, uh, I know some of the failures we had over that course was 
guns that probably were too dry. And I know that Glock 40, 34, I took that apart to see kind of what was going on. And it was just, it was very, very, very dry. Yeah. You could almost he- not hear it, but you could almost just like, I could almost hear it because I don't know. I was pretty in tune, but it just, it, <laughs> fe- it sounded Oh, dry. and you work the slide. It's like, yeah, you know, so. as opposed to, I mean, and I'll tell you, you get, you get a P365, 3000 rounds through it. Nice and lubed. Uh, this thing is so, it's silky smooth. It's beautiful. Um, that's actually another thing too. The more you shoot a gun and break, like break it in, like you're, you're those contact points, those surfaces that are wearing, they're getting smoother and smoother. And if you keep that stuff lubed, I mean, over time, like the smoother the gun gets, the more reliable it typically will get, except for the more we shoot it. Like I actually got to replace this recoil spring in this thing already. The recommended replacement uh, uh, time frame is 2,500 rounds. Okay. Hmm. That's official from SIG. Now I have unnamed sources that have told me they've seen them go up to 10,000 rounds, but it's not recommended. I said, what about five? Mm, Not recommended, but could you do it? Sure. So recommendation, 2,500 rounds. I've got a recoil spring, hopefully arriving tomorrow ish. I'm going to go ahead and replace it. Um, so yeah, break it in. It gets smoother. Should be, you know, as long as extractors are in good shape, recoil springs are in good shape, all that stuff's, you know, in good shape, should, should become a very reliable gun. One last thing to keep in perspective. I'm sorry. I'm, I keep going, Matthew, but <laughs> let's suppose you fire a thousand rounds and you have one malfunction in the, in the thousand rounds. Okay. What's the percentage of those rounds that malfunctioned? 0.01. Right? 0.01%. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very small fraction, right? Now I know that I know people out there that would say one malfunction in a thousand, like I, my Glocks will go five, 10,000 rounds and no problems, which I call BS on. But, um, I, I get where they're coming from, but one malfunction in a thousand, or even let's double that, uh, two in a thousand, one every 500. Mm-hmm. I definitely know people would be like, mm, that's too many for me, right? Mm-hmm. Let's put this in perspective. Even two in a thousand is 0.02%. Now, what does this mean for us in a defensive context? If the failure rate is 0.02%, meaning one time out of 500, I might get a malfunction out of this gun. It means that let's just suppose I got to draw this and use it in a, in a DGU. And how many rounds do you think I would use in a DGU, Matthew? Give if me the, you're talking, well, we do the average. It's one to three. Most of them are probably two, two shots or, you know, it would be probably like, I think a reasonable average, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say worst case scenario. Okay. Really there's a worst case where I might need like 12 Right. But like, honestly, like the worst DGUs that we share on the podcast are usually maybe like five or six or maybe seven shots. Right. Like kind of like that half dozen range. What are the odds that if my gun is reliable, 99.98% of the time that I get a malfunction during those six shots that I fire? It's too high. It's a, so I, I, my, I, my family, I'm just, they're at risk. <laughs> I'm just saying that we have to put things in perspective and in context. Now I prefer a gun that has zero malfunctions, at least in 500 rounds. I prefer that, but 
at the same time, I got to like think in terms of honestly, unless it's happening like every magazine, you know, I get one or let's say even every other magazine. So like one in every 25 shots, I get a malfunction. That's an issue, right? Anyway, just some things to think about folks. Uh, be real, use your brains, critical think, you know, all that stuff, right? We should wrap it up. Uh, sorry, we do have other questions. I, I got stuff here. We'll save it for an, another future episode. Uh, we'll get to that. Appreciate all of you participating in Facebook tonight with the questions and comments. Good stuff. Keep it up, folks. If you have anything you want to hit us up with, do so by sending us an email at podcast at concealedcarry.com. That's the best way to get a hold of us as, really, as it relates to the show. And hey, we haven't said this in a while, but if you haven't reviewed the podcast on iTunes before, I would love for you to go do that right now. That'd be awesome. That would make me make make, make my day. Do you want? Don't you all want to see this big old smile on my face? <laughs> so yeah, go leave us a review on iTunes uh, if you're able to do so. And if you don't use iTunes or Apple or whatever, that's cool. That's fine. You're, you're excused. Although you can leave ex, uh, reviews on Google Play as well. So that 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 would be appreciated as well. So um, I got nothing else, bro. What about you? No, uh, it was an awesome episode. I'm glad we got to answer some of the questions. Keep them coming. I love seeing the seeing them come in and. Uh, yeah, I appreciate all the listeners. This, this is cool. I, I always appreciate it. Awesome. Well, brother, you take care. You stay safe and uh, get some sleep tonight. Sorry to keep, I kept you up so late. Hey, I can do it. <laughs> so with that, folks, uh, it's time to let you all go. A reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. Laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.